0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear Do you think that I should contact him again?
1: Help. Help. Hi. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to Dear Prudence once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me this week are Hannah and Matt. They are a married couple in Brooklyn who do a weekly podcast about advice columns called Hannah and Matt Know It All.
0: Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're so excited to be here. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm
1: so excited that you're here too. And it's always fun to me when I get to be on somebody else's show and then they get to come on my show. Uh, And it's always just a great reminder that you should just email people whenever you feel like it. Because the only reason we were on one another's shows is one day, I think, Hannah, you emailed me and you just said, we do a show. Come be on our show.
0: I did. I Googled you and found your contact info. (laughs) And felt really creepy. But I was like, but I really want her to be on the show. So uh, I leaned into the discomfort of that and it worked out beautifully. Contacting Uh, me is not creepy. (laughs) (laughs) You know,
2: I I feel utterly upstaged because uh, I do search by profession and I couldn't find your email address. So, you know, it's just really, really embarrassing for me. But it all worked out.
1: Yeah, I think I'm pretty searchable. (laughs) It's been a while since I like put anything out there about myself. But uh, I mean, obviously you found something.
0: I think literally all I put in was Mallory Ortberg email and there it was.
1: Well, fabulous. So if anyone's listening and they feel like emailing me, you can probably do it quite
0: easily. (laughs) Your personal email address has now been given to the entirety of uh, everyone. I have repeated (laughs) back back when I used to be on uh, Twitter, I would periodically
1: dox myself um, (laughs) and it it drove it easy for the haters. it, It drove some of my more like lawyer friends kind of. Bonkers because they were like, they're very well read up uh, on issues of like safety and privacy. And I'm like, please stop doing that. I'd be like, no, (laughs) shan't. I'm a wicked little boy. Um, And I like making life harder for myself. Um, But yeah, so you guys have a podcast about advice columns that you've been doing for how long now? We started in January, so about six months now. Okay. And I assume that much like myself, before you guys started doing this sort of professionally, uh, you were just obsessed with reading advice columns all the time. Oh, God. Like all the time. It's like what I do. Yeah. When I was a kid, I had a book written by Ann Landers. Um, that was sort of a compilation of a lot of the advice she had given over the earlier stages of her career and I remember being really fascinated by all the stuff she had to say about being a twin because I guess this was a time when a lot of people if they had twins especially identical twins they were like ah, it's just two versions of the same person and she like <laughs> really pushed for no they are two people uh, and you should not dress them alike their entire lives and demand that they do everything <laughs> together um you should you should treat them like they are two human beings um and like was just kind of a she was kind of a fabulous figure Yeah, that's fascinating. So
0: let's jump right into the questions. Uh, Hannah, would you go ahead and read our first letter? Sure, absolutely. So the subject here is still want the benefits. Dear Prudence, I've been in a non-relationship with a guy for nearly eight months. He was in an emotionally abusive relationship for many years from which he has not fully recovered. We are best friends with benefits, and we often act like a couple, holding hands, kissing goodbye, etc. But my desire for more has been a recurring issue. I'll tell myself I'm fine with things as they are, but every month or so the pain will return. I don't want to end things, but sometimes it feels like the only solution, although I never have have the resolve to follow through. Losing him as a friend is not an option. He is too important to me. But then any physical or emotional lines I could draw to protect myself seem arbitrary, and once the acute pain has worn off, depriving myself and him of our closeness seems pointless and self-punishing. We're essentially in a monogamous relationship, and he wishes he could give me what I need, but we both know that part of his heart is not in it. If he told me things would never change, I might have the strength to create more distance and move on. But he can't do that. He wants to heal and hopes and believes that when he does, he'll be able to really be with me. Please tell me what to do. What should she do?
2: Oh, uh, this is this is easy. Just open up the relationship. All right. next. Question. <laughs> That's the
0: answer to everything, right?
1: <laughs>
2: That's <laughs> Matt's answer to
0: everything. <laughs> um, I honestly think that she should not continue having the. With benefits with this person and she should look for um, a partner who can give her everything because I've known people who have been in situations very similar to this and you just you can't put a timeline on somebody else's healing process and you know maybe next year he'll be ready maybe it'll be decades before he's ready you just don't know and do you really want to like stay on the hook for that but I feel like you can stay friends with someone even if you stop sleeping with them that's not a, a friendship ender I don't know
1: yeah, this is one of those situations where I think it feels really complicated because there's a lot of feelings involved, but it isn't complicated. And that can be sometimes depressing to hear because you want to hear, oh, this is actually the most complicated situation I have ever heard of. You should keep going and try this and try that and triangulate this and experiment with that. And then eventually you will get this perfect chemical reaction and things will work out. Um, this is really, I think, quite straightforward. Yeah. Um, You would like to be in a monogamous relationship where you are committed to your romantic partner, and this guy either doesn't want or isn't ready for that. Um, You have all the information that you need. You know that what he is able to give you causes you pain on a regular basis, uh, and you also know that he has no sense of when or ever this might change. And so right now, letter writer, you're sort of saying— You know, if he would only tell me that things will be like this forever, then I'd be able to make a decision, which puts the responsibility for change on him. So since he's not going to give me a straight answer because he doesn't know, I have no choice but to continue on as things are. Uh, Because to just arbitrarily say this isn't working for me, well, that would be arbitrary and pointless it's not pointless because it's not working for you and you're unhappy. Um, and it's a very good reason to end a relationship with somebody, even if you love them, even if the idea of not having them as a daily part of your life seems unbearable. Um, it is, in fact, a very good thing that you can do for yourself. Um, and, you know, the fact that he does not have an answer on when or if he will be able to give you what you need is, in fact, an answer. Um, so I think... You you know, your belief that you can't move on until he tells you whether or not you need to give up is an illusion that you are kind of granting yourself because it enables you to keep doing something that hurts. Um, And as soon as you are willing to stop doing this to yourself, you will feel better. Um, So, you know, I I don't want to like kick you when you're down because I know it's hard, but uh, I, I promise you the way out of this is not this guy, in a week or a month or a year says, you know what? I feel great now. Thank you for that nine months, 10 months, one year of whatever we were doing. Now I want to be your boyfriend. I I don't think that's going to happen. I think you need to say, I care about you deeply. I love our friendship. It's too painful for me to be with somebody who can't or won't commit to me. And so I'm going to arbitrarily, somewhat randomly draw a line in the sand and end a romantic, uh, aspect of this friendship and let yourself be really sad cry a lot watch a bunch of movies talk about how he's missing out on the greatest thing in the world say you don't understand it say it's not fair complain to your friends and therapists go for it and then find somebody else
0: yeah absolutely
2: uh, i'm I'm sympathetic uh certainly to the abuse that her friend has endured but i don't know people's abuse shouldn't come at your exp- at the expense of your needs i think so
1: I'll hear that sometimes from a letter writer, and I I absolutely agree with you, uh, Matt, that that if somebody else has experienced abuse at somebody else, that's terrible and awful and, of course, can often have repercussions way down the line. Um, But it doesn't mean that you, as the new partner, um, should be treated like that last partner um, or that you can't want or need things because this person has experienced abuse at the hands of somebody else. Like, um, that's not... That's not like a reason to not ask for what you want.
0: Right. I almost feel like the abuse in this situation is is thrown into the letter sort of as an explanation of why he is not willing to commit, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense, but also is sort of irrelevant to the ultimate conclusion, which is you love someone who does not love you back, and that's never a good relationship to be in.
1: Right. And I'm sure he cares for you. Uh, it's not that he doesn't you know, it's not that he doesn't care about you at all, but it's that he can't love you the way that you want. So kind of why right. isn't super important. And it may, in fact, not be related to the emotional abuse he suffered at the hands of somebody else. That may be what he thinks it is and that may be what he says to you. And maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But the point is, whatever the reason, he's not going to do it. And that's enough information. Exactly. All right. I
2: wonder if they've had a conversation really about what they're doing. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily sound like she has.
1: And I don't know. She says when, okay. her desire has been a recurring issue. Uh, mm-hmm. so it, it, at least somehow they're talking about it. Maybe it's obliquely. Maybe they haven't had a super clear conversation, but it's it's certainly come up.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, he's I he, guess insofar as like boundaries or the ability to date other people. Joe uh, oh boy, to take it personally. Um, you know, when Hannah and I met. Uh, there there was a long period of time where, um, oh I don't know. I guess I was being a little shit. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't give uh, exclusivity to to what we were doing, but I didn't I didn't demand. I didn't demand that Hannah not date anyone else while I figured out my own shit.
1: Well, I I don't even think that's what he's asking of her. I think she's doing it because she's hoping if I act monogamous enough at him, we will eventually be in a monogamous committed relationship. Yep. Which is not how you get (laughs) into a monogamous committed relationship. You get into that by asking for it and having somebody else say, yes, I want that too.
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: All right, Matt, you want to take our next letter?
2: Sure. And the subject of this one is when to cut ties. Dear Prudence, I have a very unpleasant friend. He is a bitter, sarcastic, closed-off, toxic, self-hating gay man. Those close to him are expected to put up with it, but he won't tolerate those issues in anyone else. I had one bad evening where I was admittedly rude to him, and his response was, this just makes me want to punch you in the face. He belittles me, tells me to shut up, makes light of my insecurities, and makes endless fun of my, optimist, uh, my optimism towards relationships. He also lied to me about a job opportunity for nearly a year. It may sound p- petty, but that was my dream job and he was just stringing me along. I made the decision a few weeks ago that I'm going to focus on the positive people in my life, come to better terms with my own homosexuality and spend less time with negative influences. I'm planning to phase out our friendship. Problem is he nearly died earlier in the year and spent a month in the hospital. After getting out, he suffered a major setback and is still winding his way through reco- recovery. That doesn't sound, mm, That doesn't stop the nasty comments though. I helped clean his filthy apartment before he came home uh, the first time I literally cleaned up fecal stains. Three days later, he made a comment along the lines of, what have you done for me lately? When should I begin this phase out? I don't want to kick him while he's down in the midst of these medical issues, but I honestly don't think being around him is healthy for me.
1: Oh, my goodness. So when does, <sighs> the, the, when does this letter writer get to begin the phase out, guys?
2: Uh, like a week ago, t- two years ago. <laughs> get a time machine. Like, you don't deserve this kind of abuse. Holy crap.
0: Yeah, Um, It sounds like the letter writer is far from the only support system that this person has, and they should feel no obligation to drag out what sounds like a very one-sided and toxic friendship just because the person has been ill. Right.
1: Um, This is not a case where if you step back, he has no one and nothing. You're not his caregiver. You're not his doctor or nurse. Um, I think, you know, the health issue is going to be a little bit of a red herring. Um, because it sounds like he has made a habit of convincing you that he needs you and that you are a bad friend if you don't give him what he demands of you all the time. But, um, I mean, he's already made it pretty clear there's sort of nothing you can do for him that would stick in his memory, right? Like there's no amount of help you can give him where he would say, thank you.
2: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that that topic broadly, like recent health struggles. Like, does that does that really change anything, or is there a circumstance in which like that wouldn't be a red herring? Because he's always been you know, down, so there's really like you're always going to be kicking him no matter
0: what. You know, I mean, he just sounds like he's always been a toxic person, and I don't think that being sick changes that in any way. He just doesn't sound like a he doesn't. Even, I won't even say he doesn't sound like a good friend. He doesn't sound like a friend. This sounds someone like someone that you are nice to and who in return is just an asshole all the time. Um, And that sounds awful.
1: Yeah, I I think the decision you came to, to focus on the positive people in your life, to uh, come to better terms with your own homosexuality, which good for you, that can be really difficult. And like, good luck on that journey and spend less time around people who belittle you and make you feel like an idiot. um, That is a good decision and you should pursue it. And you should pursue it right now. Um, And you don't, you know, it's 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 okay to start phasing it out. It's okay to just stop taking his calls. Um, if he demands an explanation, it's okay to say, like, I really just don't love being around you. You're unkind to me. You're cruel. And you make me feel bad about myself. And I don't want that. Um, and maybe that'll be uh, helpful to him. Like, maybe that will plant a seed where a year or two from now, he will think, oh, maybe I do want to change. Maybe it won't. It's certainly not your job to convince him he needs to be a better person. Um yeah get out of there he is he he's not dying right now you are not like abandoning him by the side of the road he's not a good friend to you and and so you know the fact that earlier this year he went to the hospital um and you know now he is recovering that 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 doesn't mean you have to stay friends with him like he's not in any immediate danger and if you stop being his friend it's not like you are abandoning him to die um so there's there's not like an ethical obligation here. Uh, I, I think I think you were right. I don't think being around him is healthy for you. Um, he he sounds like he's very very cruel. And I'm sorry that you've had to put up with this for so long. Um, this feels really straightforward.
2: Oh, I totally agree. And yeah, and, and and I think that when phasing this person out, you don't necessarily have to be cruel or too explicit about it. Because uh, as you said, Mallory, there is a chance that. In a few years, uh, maybe he gets the hint that, oh, suddenly there's no one else in my life because maybe I've been sort of shitty to everybody. Uh, He may come back. And I mean, I've I've literally had this circumstance happen before. I have phased out friends uh, specifically because I was getting rid of the negativity in my life. And even 10 years later, uh, somebody might reach out out of the blue and their entire life has changed, their circumstances and their demeanor and – We've reconnected, and it's been really nice. But yeah. I don't know. This guy sounds so egregious. It's almost like I want to tell him just like, well, some some very rude things. And you also,
1: <laughs> you also don't have to do a phase out. Um, like I think sometimes people want to do that uh, under certain conditions because there's this sort of hope that maybe nobody else will notice. I think he's going to notice just because he's so incredibly demanding. Um, and if you need to, instead of phasing out this friendship, just stop. That is Okay. Uh, you can do that and you don't owe him anything just because in the past you've been willing to come over and like clean up after him and take his abuse. Um, That does not mean that he is entitled to do more of that to you. You get to just stop it when you need to. And I think this is a pretty good time to just say this friendship is over.
0: Um, Absolutely. And I love that you provided like a sort of a script for um, taking it head on. And I, I feel like my instinct would probably just be to sort of go cold shoulder, out, you know, when they text, be like, sorry, I'm not available. I won't be able to do that for you. But I think that taking it on head on, if you if you have the, uh, I don't know what the right word is. If, if you can bring yourself to do that, I think that's a really good way to do it so that there aren't any like unclear like, huh, I wonder what happened. It's yeah. like, nope, you're really mean to me, so I'm going to stop doing right. you favors And so. that's
1: not getting into a screaming match with him. It's not saying you're a terrible person because pretty much no one will hear that, right? Like just stick mm-hmm. to look, you're not kind to me. You don't treat me well. And you make me feel bad about myself. And I don't want to spend time with you. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. You don't have to like explain those things. If he tries to argue with them, you know, you don't have to prove that he makes you feel bad about yourself. But I think it's helpful to say those things just so he hears that from someone, because I imagine a lot of people don't reflect truth to him. Um, And then after that to say, nope, not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to respond to any more of your messages. Um, And then don't. And and I'm sure you'll feel guilty because it sounds like he's made a habit out of making you feel guilty for him, but um, you should be able to let that go. (sighs) All right. So next letter, totally different subject. (laughs) The the subject line is a little more sensational than the letter itself. Uh, So so, uh, (laughs) don't worry too much. But the subject line is trans name controversy. Sure. Dear Prudence, our teen is transitioning to a non-binary identity and has chosen a new name that everyone now uses for them at school. Unfortunately, this name is identical to the name of a miscarried child in their closest friend's family. The friend is somewhat okay with it, but their mother does not yet know. My teen is just coming out publicly with their pronouns, and everyone's been great about it, but the name feels tricky. Our teen is reluctant to mention it to their friend's mother, but I think that's the only way to go. What if the mother is upset by the idea? I'm confused as to what I should do,
0: if anything.
2: Well, good news, letter writer. You don't have to do anything.
0: Oh, my goodness. I have so many thoughts on this one as a uh, genderqueer person who has given a lot of thought to whether I want to switch my name or not. Mm-hmm. Um And for right now, I haven't. And honestly, part of the reason I haven't is because every potential uh, gender neutral name I have come up with uh, has some connotations or uh, belongs to somebody I know. And it always feels weird to me. But I think what I've learned from that is there's literally no such thing as a name you're going to pick that somebody else doesn't have. Right. No one has invented a
1: brand new name that no one else ever used ever again.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think that this is... It may cause sort of a momentary pang for the for the mother, but it's not like your your child named themselves after the uh, the miscarried child, or at least it, I doubt it. Um, it just happens to be a name that they they like, and I think that that name has not been crossed off the roster of potential names forever just because somebody who uh, bore that name died tragically. Um, because people of every name die all the time and sometimes we name people after them in honor of them and sometimes we name people that same thing and it has nothing to do with them at all and that's okay yeah
2: and i still think you should name yourself riley
0: (laughs) so my matt's middle name is riley my middle name is o'reilly um and that's my my family name is O'Reilly. So I've thought of going by Riley. But I also have a cousin Riley and it's just all too much, <laughs> too much and I can't do it. Such a good uh, gender it's, neutral. There's too many Rileys. No,
1: it is difficult when you're choosing a name for yourself. You are doing it as an adult. Whereas, uh, you know, when you are named as a baby, someone else is doing it on your behalf and they don't know anything yet about you because you're still hypothetical. So exactly, it's hard, right? As an adult, I think, like, Ah, <laughs> oh, but what does this bring up for me? So, yeah, yeah. no, I think these are all good points. Like, uh, you know, I think if the letter writer had said... This miscarriage happened very, very recently, or it's an incredibly uncommon name that they could only have gotten from this child that might merit a further conversation, but they don't. So my guess is it's just a not super uncommon name. And I think, you know, the... The best thing to do is just to, to carry on. Um, and whenever your teen feels ready to like share with more people the name, they do not have to have a separate conversation with their friend's mother. I don't think that that's necessary. Like, and neither do you. Like, I don't think this is a situation that requires like calling your kid's friend's mom and saying like, hey, we have some news for you. Like, that's not necessary. So I think, yeah, yeah. I think
2: it's admirable, admirable of her to be really sensitive to this and mm-hmm. it. it I don't know. I may be reading into this too much, but it doesn't sound like she's particularly close uh, to this other mother. But I mean, if she feels that that she is that close, then I don't see why it can't come up sort of not necessarily organically, but with sensitivity. Care. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that drawing like making like an announcement and drawing attention to it makes it seem like it's a bigger deal than it is and sort of like makes it seem like it's about the miscarried child when it right. really isn't?
1: Right. Yeah, and I, like I just imagine, you know, this woman probably hears that name every now and again, like either somebody else gets called by that name in public or, you know, they meet somebody else by the name and it's obviously like part of the sadness of of a miscarriage or the loss of a child is that sort of lingering reminder of of things that that put you in mind of that child, but um she's she's going to be okay. It's not you guys haven't done anything kind of wrong. You don't have to do anything. Your teen doesn't have to do anything. Um, you guys are doing everything right. Um, and just, you know, keep going. All right. Who wants to read about the guy who's in love with his kid's mother?
0: I can do that one. Oh,
1: I love, I just love that. I saw that subject line and I was just like, oh, I've seen this TV show. <laughs> I know how
0: this it's happens. It's like, oh, there's there's so many ways that this could have come about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the subject. I'm in love with my child's mother. Dear Prudence, five years ago, my ex-wife and I separated. We both dated casually, but remained, or because of our three children, we remained close. And after some time apart, we both wanted to reconcile. At that same time, I found out Julia, a woman I'd been seeing, was pregnant. In a moment of stress, I told her this baby would end my marriage. My ex and I did divorce, but remained good friends. Julia had our baby, and over the past five years, we've become incredibly close. We haven't been romantically involved since our child was conceived, but I fell in love with both her and our daughter a long time ago. In part because I was boorish toward Julia during her pregnancy, I've never told her my feelings. I'd also hate to ruin our amazing co-parenting relationship. But I wish we were together. I want to tell Julia that although our daughter was the last thing I expected, both she and her mother have become the joys of my life. My older children think she's amazing, and she even gets along with my ex-wife." Would it be selfish to tell Julia I love her? I sometimes feel as if I forsook that right.
2: Oh, I love this one. It's actually a really sweet letter. Yeah. I, I don't think you'd forsook. Forsook? Forsook. He didn't forsook, forsook right?
1: <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, right. No, nope, <laughs> It's
2: not forsookin. It's still on the table. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like the two of you are doing pretty great together now. Uh I mean, you can apologize for your past behavior, and I mean, it sounds like there are legitimate circumstances that— Complicated your feelings and the way you acted then. Um, you know these aren't excuses per se, but they're they're reasons. They're reasonable reasons for your reasoning. I mean, I think I think that you you get to say I love you in this case. That's my take.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, it it would depend on how you feel like you would react if Julia said that's sweet of you, but I'm not interested in having a romantic relationship with you. Uh, I think if you could handle the rejection fine, as if she said. I'm not interested in pursuing that with you, then it's okay to say exactly what you've said here. You guys have made my life so much better. Uh, I really love you both. Um, I would be interested in getting romantically involved if you would be interested in that, but uh, I don't want to mess up what we have going as our co-parenting thing. So if you're not interested, that's completely okay, and I understand. Uh, If you think you're going to react badly, if she says she's not interested, I wouldn't bring it up.
1: Yeah, I'm a little unclear on how to what extent or when he has actually apologized to Julia and made it clear how much he cares for her and the child they have together because he says they've become incredibly close which suggests that they're close right like she's not flinching when he is around her thinking he's going to yell at her again she she doesn't seem to carry like an obvious resentment against him it sounds like to some extent, it's been addressed. But if 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 you have not communicated yet to Julia, if this is more just like you guys are close, but you've never addressed what you said to her, that is so separate from telling her you're in love with her. And that needs to be separate from telling her you're in love with her, whether or not you ever tell her you are in love with her, um, that you should absolutely do that. Absolutely. Like, just... Even if you guys kind of addressed it in the past, just say, look, I know it was a long time ago um, and I don't want to belabor this if you don't really want to talk about it, but I just want to once again apologize for how I reacted when you told me that you were pregnant. Um, You know, I was thinking of myself and how it would affect me and not you and how you were doing and how you would be affected. Um, And, you know, now that we have our child, I can't imagine my life any other way. I love her. You are such a wonderful co-parent. I'm so glad that we had a baby together and that you're in my life. Do that. Absolutely. Keep it separate. Keep that like kicked away six months from any conversation about whether or not you're (laughs) in love with her. Uh, Because that just needs to be said. You should tell the people in your life that you value that you value them. And if you want to, you know, apologize for something you said in the past, even if it was a couple years ago, you should do it. And then, you know, once you've done that, yeah, set a timer and wait six months. Um, Because this should not be pegged to, oh, I did this because I'm in love with you. This is just, I did this because it was the right thing to do. Um, And... Yeah, I, I'm a little more let's put on the brakes for the having that conversation just because I love the idea of saying, by the way, I'm in love with you. And if you say no, that's totally fine. But I, I worry that's a little bit Pollyanna-ish because you guys are co-parents <laughs> of a five-year-old and it's not quite as easy as telling like, a friend you are not co-parents with. Hey, I have feelings for you. They say no. You can take a little break from each other, lick your wounds, and maybe eventually find your way back towards a friendship. Like, that's going to be hard. And it's going to be hard for both of you. And it's going to be hard for her because maybe she does not feel the same way about you. Maybe she thinks you're a great co-parent but would never want to be with you again. You guys had, like... Uh, not that long term of a relationship before she got pregnant, she might not think of you as like a viable romantic candidate. She might think of you as a great co-parent and somebody she's loved with five years ago. So, you know, really take the temperature of of how things are going between you because you don't say like, I think she has feelings for me too. You just say that you have feelings and um, your kid's five. So that's another at least 13 years before they are theoretically even out of the house and it's still going to be a lot longer that you two are connected so you know this does you know I, I like the idea it feels very sweet it feels like the Palm Beach story like oh you're in love with your kid's mother that's so convenient you should be together um, cue the wedding bells and fall in love and how adorable and your kid will say kiss 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 and like that's
0: but that's like not,
2: season 7 at the earliest right? that
1: is season 7, <laughs> seven at the earliest. Yeah. so proceed with <laughs> caution have the conversation separately um, try to say it in as low key a way as possible. Um, maybe don't open with I'm in love with you. Maybe open with I have feelings for you. And if she is like really not receptive to that, um, back off. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's fair that you're worried about ruining your amazing co-parenting relationship, because this does have the potential to at least make it very difficult for a while. So you can do it. Proceed with caution. Take your time. Hold the conversation separately. And then good luck. In six months, please write us back. And if you guys did get together, that's adorable. Congratulations. Tell us everything. Send us pictures of the wedding.
2: (laughs) And, you know, if they were in an open relationship. Matt, no. okay. (laughs) All
1: right. So (laughs) the next one is, man, it's very distressing. I apologize for giving you one of the heavier ones, but it's been sitting in my inbox for a little while, and I think it's really, really worth addressing. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. The subject line is just, I think I raped my friend. Dear Prudence, I had a fairly good friend I used to drink with often. One night he invited me to go home with him, which is not unusual. We took turns drinking from his flask, and then he began to pressure me into having sex with him. He kept touching me and kissing me even after I told him to stop and said no. Then he begged me to have sex with him and told him I was making him feel bad. I knew he was drunk, and I was drunk, and I shouldn't, but I had sex with him anyway. The next day he told me he didn't remember anything and asked me not to tell anyone. I told a close friend who informed me I raped him, and she couldn't be my friend anymore because of it. Did I rape him? Oh, guys, this one kills me. I, like, it's such a twist ending that this letter writer has a friend who would say that. Um, oh yeah. Because it's so clear. Um, no, letter writer, you, you did not rape your friend. Um, if you go back and you reread what you wrote to me, um what happened was this. You two both got drunk. He tried to pressure you into having sex with him. He kept touching you. You told him to stop. He kept touching you. You said no. He kept touching you. Um when he said the next day that he didn't remember anything and asked you not to tell anyone, um that's because he knew that he violated your consent um and that he sexually assaulted you. Um so the fact that you have another friend who would say that because you were both drunk, you committed assault, that's so off base. I'm so sorry. Uh, it is not easy to hear that that you have been sexually assaulted. Um, I hope so much that if there's not somebody else in your life that you can trust to talk about this with, um, that you can at the very least call uh, the National Sexual Assault Hotline. You can both go to the website, uh, which is rain.org, R A I I N.org, or call 1 800 656 4673. Um, They're available 24 hours a day. It's totally confidential, and you can talk with someone at any time. Um, But no, you did not sexually assault your friend. Um, It is the opposite, and I just it's kind of unbelievable to me that that you could have told this story to someone and they would have said that you did something
0: wrong because somebody else kept touching you after you said no. Yeah, so this was such a sad letter. Um, and when, yeah, when somebody else is pressuring you to have sex and you finally give in to their coercion and have sex with them, that absolutely is not rape in any definition of the word. Um, or rather, it is, you- but...
1: Well, yeah, the but not, you are not you are not the rapist. Right. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And and again, like uh, bearing in mind, too, that like legality is not always w- what what drives our what should be driving our, our behavior and our choices. Like, um, it is not as if your friend was drunk and you were sober. Um, you two had both been drinking. Um, there was not like a an imbalance of sobriety where. Um, One person was in their right mind and the other person was totally obliterated. Um, You you know, this person coerced you, forced you into having sex you didn't want. Um, And then another one of your friends convinced you that you had assaulted him because he didn't listen to you when you said, no, I don't want to have sex. Um, So that's just two pretty profound, awful violations. And I'm so sorry. I hope, you know, in addition to calling the hotline, um, at least consider whether or not you would like to report this. Um, I understand that, you know, it is always difficult to report rape and sexual assault, particularly when it is perpetrated by someone we thought we could trust. Um, And it is also difficult, uh, you know, when it's more than a day after the fact um, and that, you know, the police are not always helpful um, when it comes to sexual assault victims. Um, But just know you can, if you want to, report this. You have a right to report this if you want to. Um, and that you can do that. Um, but but man, more than anything else, just reread what you wrote to me, which is that you didn't want to have sex, you said no, you said stop, and he didn't stop. And that makes what he did rape, not you. Good luck. Please take care of yourself. Um, I'm so sorry that your other friend responded the way that they did. That just is baffling to me. Um, and please know um, that they are wrong. They are as wrong as it gets um, and that they are not accurately reflecting reality back to you. All right. So there's absolutely no good segue from these yeah. two letters. So I'm just going to say we're going to move on to a completely different topic. Um, Matt, I think it's been a while since you got to read a letter. Would you Would you do this for us, please?
2: Sure. And the subject here is tip culture. And I wanted to note that uh, we had Mallory take on a tip question on our podcast as well. Uh,
0: So turnabout's fair play. Carolyn Hacks. Uh, All
2: right. Dear Prudence, I need some advice on tipping culture in the U.S. right now. It seems everywhere you go these days, there's an opportunity to automatically add a tip from the donut shop to the chain sandwich store to what feels like every place I go. As a culture, are we now tipping everywhere? When did this change occur? Is it related to how easy it is to program the iPad register to ask this question? I always tip 20% at restaurants, but I'm a little frustrated with being asked to tip at places where there's only counter service and or where employees are paid more than minimum wage. Am I being cheap?
0: So I thought this was interesting because I, I thought a little bit about like the kinds of places that do have the iPad. And, you know, you when you go to sign, you have to put a percentage or no tip or whatever. Um, and I feel like it's all the sort of place that used to have like a coffee can out for that. Like, I don't. I feel like those are places where tipping was always an option but never a requirement. It's just harder to ignore now. Yeah. And it's harder to ignore now, but I feel like it still is an option but not a requirement. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think it's totally the programming, the iPad, um, because it will also come with helpful little suggestions. Like I was at a coffee shop earlier where it was like 15%, good job, 18%, great job, 20%, fantastic service. And 25% was like, I want to marry you all or something where they'll like (laughs) tell you like, if you feel this way, tip this much. Um, And it's just a suggestion. Uh, You know, if it's not like, Table service. Uh, there, there's not the same obligation to tip in the sense that their wages are probably not like cut to reflect tipping. So you're not like harming anyone by not tipping. You are free to tip. Uh, I don't think you're a bad person if you buy like a Pellegrino at a coffee shop and they hand it to you and you don't tip. Um, if you have some spare cash, you can, and that's great, wonderful. You just bought yourself some bonus points in good person math. Um, which is a term that I have just very badly made up. But, (laughs) yeah, no, you don't have to. uh, You're not, like, I would tell you if I thought you were being cheap. um, If you tip 20% at restaurants um, and generally only tip on counter service, if they're, like, making you a fancy drink and you want to throw an extra buck their way, like, you're doing all right, you're doing great. You don't have to tip when you buy a donut. Um, That is totally optional. Would you guys tip on a donut? I would tip on a donut just because you can tip like 20% on the purchase of a donut and it's 14 cents and then you feel like a really good person and all you spent was another 14 cents.
0: <laughs> I feel like I would definitely tip on a donut if I was paying in cash because I would just throw whatever change from my $2 there was yeah. into their tip jar Do and feel really good about myself. Problem. Um I also don't know if I would buy a donut if I had to use my credit card because I always feel a little bit weird buying something on a credit card that's under $3. Like, that makes me feel like I probably don't need that thing as much as I think I do. Um, (laughs)
2: Maybe a good gauge,
1: yeah. Right. Yeah, Yeah, and I think you've got uh, something about that that, uh, coffee can out because I think a lot of coffee shops have always done that. A lot of, like quick service restaurants have always had like a little tip jar at the front that generally was seen as pretty optional and you're just noticing it more now because there's now like uh, an electronic tip jar and you have to like choose no to not do it so it's now opt out rather than opt in Um, but I don't think that like concordantly uh, everyone is now expected to do that way more or that they think of you as a jerk if you're not doing it Um, you can and it's just brownie bonus points Guys, thank you so much for coming and being on the show and helping me fix all the problems in the world.
0: (laughs) Thank you so (laughs) much for inviting us. I hope that we have sufficiently solved all of the world's problems. We forgot to
1: tell the last person that if they were in an open relationship, they wouldn't have any issues with tipping because there would be so many of them going out in a wonderful polyamorous group. They would all be able
0: to tip a little amount and add up to a lot of money. That's so true. When you've got people on like a, a four or five person date, everyone is trying to impress all of their dates by tipping really high. And so you get an 80 percent tip. And it's Open great. relationships solve almost anything.
1: Guys, thank you so much. Please have a wonderful open afternoon.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. Have a Thanks great
2: day. Thanks for having us, Mally.
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops.